Good morning, everyone. We will, we will make our way back to Ephesians in a second, but turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And as we are, we're, we're seeing who Christ is and what Christ has done and what re- Christ requires of his followers. And as we've made our way through Matthew, we've seen some pretty astounding uh, calls from Jesus, our Lord, telling us what his disciples are expected to do. Looking at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, it's a good kind of summary place for us to kind of reflect back on some of the stuff we've learned. And Notice in verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay, here comes the punch. You ready? Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, favored by God, are those people who are insulted and persecuted for Christ's namesake. Rejoice and be glad when that happens. There's the command. Rejoice and be glad. That sounds easy. Not. Very difficult, right? Rejoice and be glad. When you're persecuted for the namesake of Christ. Well, let's read another one. Look over at Matthew 5.38. This, one, this one's real good. You have heard it said, 5.38, You have heard it said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt. Let him have yours, your coat also. Whoever forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to whom asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. That's not easy. <laughs> is it? Is this easy? No, this is hard. This is difficult. We saw in Matthew chapter 18 that he calls us to forgive, not Seven times, but seven times seventy. Always forgiving. Always forgiving. Is that easy or hard? That is extremely hard. Let's just be honest. That's hard, isn't it? Jesus is laying out in his ministry what the righteous standard is, what holiness looks like, what being a forgiving follower of Christ looks like. He's laid that out, hasn't he? Even his own disciples are known to be what? Men of little faith. He calls them that over and over and over again. And so as we're making our way through Matthew, at times it's like, man, if we could just skip to the end, come on, let's get to the good part. What's the good part? Jesus' death, His resurrection, the hope that's found in Him. (laughs) See, we can't do this perfectly, can we? 
We all fall short of His righteous standard, don't we? We need a Savior, don't we? Jesus came into the world to die to pay for sinners like us, and He pays for our sin. So then the question comes, is this, is Matthew's gospel just to show you you can't do it so that you will then look to him to be forgiven? Is that all Matthew's gospel is about? Or are we actually supposed to do it too? Are we actually supposed to forgive seven times 70? Are we supposed to forgive that much? Are we supposed to turn the other cheek? Are we supposed to rejoice when we're persecuted by Him? Are we supposed to do that? Yes, we are. So the natural question for all of us is, the people of Israel couldn't keep the law, and Jesus took the law and showed this is really what it looks like. This is a true exposition of the law. And you're required to do it. And I can't do it. That's why you died. But what am I supposed to do now? Am I supposed to do this? And the answer is yes, you're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it. It's not just showing you that you're bad and so therefore you say, I need Jesus to forgive my sin. There's something else. There's actually... Not only the deliverance from judgment, it's also deliverance from the power of sin that keeps us in bondage so that we can actually obey Him. See, when He died and rose from the dead, there were major ramifications. What are the big ramifications? The biggest one, the new covenant, started... When Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, right? How does a man like Peter go from denying Christ three times to being bold and standing up and speaking to the same people that he ran from and cowered from and was afraid of just 40 days previously? How does he do this? The Holy Spirit. The power of the gospel. The power of of God in the life of the believer. So, when we're going through a book like Matthew, it's good to take breaks. I'm going to take a break. We're going to take a break because there's a question that often comes to my mind as I'm struggling through a lot of these things. I know the answer. I've heard the answer, but I forget the answer. And I'm fairly sure you forget the answer too. Here's the question. How? How do I do this? How do I do this? Hopefully, you've probably even thought some of that yourself in the last week or so. Have you blown it in sin and you say, How do I stop doing this? Anybody say that? I just got to stop. How do I stop? And then there might even be this question. You start thinking to yourself, man, I've battled this all my life. I've battled this all my life. Why should I just, why should I fight anymore? Why should I why should I stop? 
Why should, why should I fight this sin? Why? I've lost so many times. Why should I keep going? <laughs> Has anybody ever asked that question? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe I just need to recognize that this is just who I am. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Get it over with and then I can say, God, will you forgive me and then move on. Ever thought that? See, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We need to know why and how we walk with Christ. That's what the epistles do. They tell the effect of, the, of Christ and what he's done. And they tell of the power of God that's available in the believer to actually enjoy God and walk with him. Whereas we've seen throughout the whole Bible, the Jewish people kept failing, didn't they? Failing, failing. God tells them to do something, they spank them, he spanks them, brings them back, and they do what? They fail again. And then we read through the Gospels, and as we're reading through the Gospels, what are we seeing about the disciples? I mean, it's almost comical now. We've gotten to that place with Peter, haven't we? Oh, there he goes. He's got his foot in his mouth again. Should Should I forgive my brother seven times? Not the three, like the, but seven times? You're never going to the cross. Right? Foot and mouth. They need what is the effect of the gospel? I want to tell you that I want to share with you a book. Go over to Ephesians now. I want to share with you a book that should revolutionize the way you live. It's going to give you hope. I confess to you that this book this book, Ephesians, is written to believers in Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? It's written to people that have repented of their sins and they've trusted in Christ and they have heard the gospel message of who Jesus is and what He did and they have believed in Him. So this book is for the church. Okay? This is not to try to get you to become a part of the church, though we hope that happens if you're not a believer. This book is written to the church on how to live for Christ and why to live for Christ. Okay? So I think we need this break. What about you? Plus it gives me a little bit more time to study the Olivet Discourse because it's very, very huge. So we're going to take about four months and go through Ephesians, okay? Three to four months, Lord willing, we'll be done. In light of that, if you didn't get notes, uh, we have one per family because I didn't make enough. But if you did not get one, Steve's got one. Raise your hand if you need some notes. Steve, right here, right here in the front. Here we go. If you didn't get one, raise your hand, one per house if you can, just because I didn't make enough. But just make sure you get his eyes. He's looking for you. There you go. Now, let's get started in this book. I want, to, I want to let you know something right off the start. In this first message especially, 
there's going to be a lot more uh, details. And that's just what it is when you start a book and you do an introduction like this. You need them, though. You need that context. You need that background. Otherwise, as we go through it, it's not going to make any sense. So I want to give you the big picture. Okay, I'm just going to give you a big picture look at this book and what it's all about so that you can see. Now, what I think you're going to see, even in my explanation of the big picture, is you're going to see the value of the book and why you need it. Okay? You're going to see that. But it's definitely not going to get down into the nitty-gritties as much as you might like. This is the 40,000-view look of Ephesians. Okay? We'll look at it top, way up. Let's start with the introduction, this introduction to the book and its necessary background. First, the author. The author. Well, obviously, we see in the first verse, you can see it, and we can just read it, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What is this? Paul is, guess who Guess who wrote the book? Paul did. You got it. And, and some of you might say, well, that was profound. And some of you might say, well, why are you even saying this? Well, believe it or not, there's a lot of people that argue that Paul didn't write the book. Can you believe that? Uh, they don't. They don't believe their eyes, I guess. But it, he really did write the book. It, he wrote it. Paul, the one who was what? Saul, previously. He had been converted by God, by Christ, on the road to Damascus. Paul, he was Saul, became Paul. That's who wrote it. And he's a an apostle, right? It says it in the first verse. He's the apostle of Christ Jesus. That is one who was... Picked or chosen by Christ himself and divinely called by Christ himself. This is a special thing. This isn't an apostle that, uh, like what we see on the side of vans nowadays where people are called apostles. Or That's not what we're talking about here. These are people, This the apostles were specially called people directly by Jesus himself. Jesus directly called him. Paul, an apostle. So it comes with the authority of the apostle, which means that when he speaks and when he writes, it's authoritative because he's speaking for God. So it's something to listen to, right? Right, so he's an apostle. Second, he's a prisoner. He's a prisoner. Look over at 3.1. In 3.1, 3.1 it states, Paul tells its circumstances. He says, 3.1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of, gen- of you Gentiles. The prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, what does this mean, prisoner of Christ Jesus? It means that he is in prison for Christ Jesus. You say, what? Why would he be in prison for Christ Jesus? Remember, Matthew chapter 5. Persecuted for my namesake. Rejoice, be glad. Boy, he's one that's going through the very thing that we talked about. Right? He's a prisoner. It's mentioned again in 4.1. Look at 4.1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. So what do we have? He's a prisoner. Look over at 6.20. I know you're going to need your Bibles now. Today's the day. You're going to really be flipping and I'm not putting them all up on the screen so you can do it. All right? Grab your Bible. Look at your Bible. Let's go through it. I'm not putting them all there. 
Then you say, well, I, I didn't bring it. Well, write down the note, write down the reference, and you can get it later and read it later, okay? I know because I set you up because I, this is the first time I've made you turn without putting it on the screen, so please forgive me. For which I am an ambassador in chains, an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So is it an ambassador in chains? So when is this? Most likely, this is Paul in Rome after he's been arrested. Remember, he actually was arrested before for what happened with the Jews. He was transported. He appealed to Caesar, remember? In appealing to Caesar at the end of Acts, he's taken all the way to Rome. He finally gets to Rome and he's under house arrest there waiting his trial. And he's in chains. And there's a soldier that is chained to him. He's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Most likely this is around 60 AD. He was traveled. He had traveled some after he's released. And then he's martyred three to four years later after being arrested again. Okay? Okay, so Paul's a prisoner. Third, Paul was a church planter. We don't have to get into this, but you know that the letter he's writing, he's writing to one of the churches that he helped plant. He helped to establish this church. And we'll talk a little bit more about the reception of this in a second. But ultimately, he's all about traveling around the Gentiles. And we know this, right, from Galatians chapter 2, that Peter was a minister to the Jewish converts, while Paul was a minister to the Gentile converts, right? So he's a church planter with Gentiles, telling them about the gospel. And this is who he writes to. So next, we have the recipients. Who are the recipients? Now I know this might get a little confusing here. Just kidding. But look at it. It says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, rather. Okay, so, who are the recipients? Well, they're saints who are at Ephesus. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Okay, here comes one of those moments where I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to actually talk about a textual critical issue. Oh, no, don't do it. Pastor Mike, don't jump into the deep end. You're going to talk about a textual critical issue. What's that? Did Paul write Ephesus there, or did he not when he wrote the original manuscript. I believe he wrote Ephesus there. However, I want to put a little caveat here because we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts and many of the manuscripts don't have Ephesus at Ephesus there. It doesn't have it in in some of them. You say, well, what in the world? Why didn't that copier put at Ephesus? I mean, how hard is it to go at Ephesus. How hard is that? That's easy, isn't it? It should be easy. Well, it's not in every one of them. Why? Well, I believe it's because it was serving a purpose. As the copier was copying, he was also going to spread that letter. That letter wasn't just to Ephesus. It was the primary focus of the author, but it was going to be spread around to all the churches in Asia Minor. It was a, a circular letter, a letter that would circle around and go all over the area. Do you understand? So in other words, it would go, it, it, here's Ephesus down there, right there. And it would go up and 
Oh, no. You gotta love it when that happens. That's a small thing. I had small fingers and it still did it. Okay, so here's Ephesus. The letter might go up and around Thyatira and some of the other areas, Laodicea, Colossae. It might have been circulated. Okay, so when they copied it to pick it on, they would not put that at Ephesus there. It makes logical sense, doesn't it? The whole point to this is, though, that this is a book that's very general. It's very general. It's a book that can apply to all churches that love Christ Jesus. It's a very good picture of how and why and what a church of Christ should look like. What a biblical church should look like, what they should think, how they should think, how they do, how they function, how they live. It's a perfect book for that. So, in light of that, it's a book for us to study, isn't it? Here you go. I I would argue this is your best biblical counseling manual in the world. Ephesians. It would be a great biblical counseling manual. Okay? Excellent. Now, they were the churches... Ephesus, however, was the church that on the third missionary journey, Paul had stayed there for two and a half years. So he spent a lot of time with them. Paul did know them, but it's been four or five years. So it means what? There's a bunch of new people. And there's a bunch of new people growing in Christ. And and there's more areas So when you come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's talking about their believers. Again, their believers. They've embraced the gospel message. Verse 15, he states, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints... He then prays. So what's this imply? Paul acknowledges that they actively believe, they're believing, and they're loving one another. Okay? They're loving each other. So, this is a great, great lesson for us. A good application for us to think on for just a second. Though this was a healthy church, and though they were a believing church, they had not arrived They still needed more. Okay? And this book is a beautiful picture. None of us in the room should think, I've made it. I'm super Christian now. Look at me. No, everybody needs Ephesians. Everybody needs the Bible. Everybody needs to be taught these things and reminded of these things so that we will live by faith in our Lord and Savior. Notice in 4.20 it says... But you did not learn Christ in this way. Wait a second. They're acting in contradiction to what they already knew. So what does that imply? By application, it means that a church can have it all together and know things. And yet what? Fall back in and do the same things that you didn't, you know you're not supposed to do. That's all of us. That's why we need these books. And Paul prays for them. We see that in 115 to 20 and 314 to 19. He's praying for them and he, his prayers are amazing. I can't wait to go over them with them. Well, over them with you. 
And Paul asked them for their prayers in 6.18 to 20. So it implies what? They need to pray for him and he needs God. He needs their God's power. So he asked them to pray for him. So Paul's main focus was on the growing church in Ephesus and the area of Asia Minor around it. So I was going to do this, but I'm going to skip and do this first. And then I'm going to come back. So what are the key themes? What are the key themes? Follow with me in your Bible. You'll see a couple of them. First, the first main key theme that I, I, I think is found throughout the whole book, and it's very important, is the power of God. The power of God. That is an extremely important theme throughout the book. The power of God. It's also uh, associated with some sentiment, synonyms, 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 of strength and might, power, strength, and might. This concept's repeated throughout the book. Very, very important theme. Talking about God's power towards us. Again, how do I live? How do I do this? Answer, God's power working in me. Not me, His power working in me. That's important. Also, another main theme is love. Love. In this little epistle, there, it's mentioned, the noun or verb form is mentioned 19 times. That's a lot compared to other books that Paul wrote. So love's a main theme. And it's very interesting. You've got the foundation of God's love for us that you'll see in the first three chapters. And then you'll see how we're supposed to love in the last three chapters. So again, why we do what we do, is seen in what happened in Christ. Why I love is because He loved me. Understanding the love of God. Notice in 3, y'all look there, it's very good. This is excellent. End of 3. Look at the prayer. He explains the love of God, and then he prays for God to help them to what? Know the love of God. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power, there it is again, with through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to, to all the fullness of God. What a prayer. Anybody pray like that? <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to unfold it for you. But here's the deal. Notice love's there. By chance, how many of you would say, I am loved by God? Hopefully everybody in the room. If not... Do you think that the believers knew that they were loved by God? Oh, yeah. I think they did. They wouldn't have believed if they didn't know that He loved them, right? I think this knowledge and understanding of love is not something that's set. It's not just a little fixed amount. You get a little bit of love, and you got it. It's growing it's an awareness of just how much God loves us. And it grows and grows and grows and grows. And I need to know it more and more and more and more. The more I know His love, 
then I will do what? I will love. So if you're not growing in your awareness of God's love for you, guess what? This is the book for you. And that is my prayer for you as we go through this. You need to know the love of God. What will drive a person to turn the other cheek? What will drive a person to forgive a person 70 times 7? What makes us, what motivates us to do that? Answer, knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see how important this is? You see why I don't want to, I I, I want to kind of take a break because otherwise I'm just throwing command after command after command after command after command. I want to show you something, beloved. You're going to get four months of God loves you. And it's not this fake, garbage, fluffy love that the world or the TV preachers say. It's a deep, unfathomable love. It's a love that you can't even plumb the full depths of it. It's going to be so great that you should walk out of here going, Wow! God, you're good! I want to love you! I want to love people! I want to lay down my life for them! That's what we need. What do you say? Pastor Mike's going to give you a hug from the Bible for the next four months. You remind me of that when we get into all those commands in the back half of the book. It's in Christ, too. This is interesting. 30 times, over 30 times, it's referenced to the idea of being in Christ. In Christ. That's New Covenant language. That's a new union with Christ. I'll develop it later. You'll get it. Fourth, the church, the body of Christ, the dwelling place of God, the believers, the holy ones, the adopted children, the fellow citizens, the members of God's household. These are all terms for the church. We're going to find out what the church is. We're going to find out how the church should function, what it should look like. And we will find out why the church does what it does and how the church does what it does. You're going to hear that over and over and over. Okay? Fifth, this word group of fill. Fill. Boy, is this one misunderstood, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Why does He command us to... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I thought we were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Why does He command us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Which one is it? Are we filled or are we going to be filled? Yes. We'll get to it. That hopefully will whet your appetite for coming back. By the way, that word filled and the word group filled is mentioned numerous times. Filled, fill, full, fills, fullness. It's mentioned over and over in the book. It's themes. You know, as I was thinking about this last night, I was going to try to do some artwork and it didn't work. I needed 
Miguel. These themes run through the entire book. Love, power, fill, all these themes in Christ. They, they run. So you have it going through and then they're all intertwined. They keep going all the way through. And when you look at, you step back and you look at the book, you say, wow, he talks about this all the way through and this is the Christian life all the way through. We see how we live and why we live for Christ. We see it. And so they intertwine and they, they wind. And when you're in the deep, in the depths of the book, it's like you might be tempted to forget that this concept's mentioned all the way through the book. And so when you zoom in on one little paragraph, you forget that there's a whole point he's making all the way through the book. This is why, by the way, this is another reason why I think it shouldn't be called uh, uh, Christian counseling. It should be called expository counseling. Why? Because, Because... The themes go throughout the book and all these things are developed in order for a Christian to be and do what they're supposed to do. It's a whole book. It's a whole context that helps us know how to live for Christ. Listen, if it was just a command, if it was just a command, Peter and Paul's and James's letters would be very short, wouldn't he? It would be this. You ready? Love one another. It would, it would look a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, wouldn't it? But these epistles are saying, look, this is new covenant life. You need to know how and why you do what you do, and this is what you do in light of who you are and what you have and how God's working in you. Do you did you hear all that? You've got to think through it. You gotta, I, I strongly advise you to maybe listen back at, through this section. It's very important. Notice six, walk is mentioned. Walk. Now, that's just another way of saying live, right? How we're supposed to live. And it's mentioned, there's five walks in the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, but in the Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians. Walk is how you should walk. But it's introduced somewhere in the first half of the book. Where is it introduced? Anybody know? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Look at it. Look at it. In Ephesians chapter 2, it starts with, look, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So you lived a certain way. You walked a certain way before you were a Christian. You were led by who? The prince of the power of the air. That's what it says. But now, in Christ, there's something different. Look at verse 10. But now... For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody knows that part, right? But do you know this part? Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So that we would walk in them. So what does this mean? That we lived and walked one way, but now we live and walk a different way. We do it because God is working in us by grace through faith. We have been saved... And God has ordained for us to do good deeds and walk. Okay? And if you really understand all this, and you get this concept when you get over to chapter 4, verse 1, look at that verse. Chapter 4, verse 1, then you go, oh, this makes sense, I can do this. How many of you? Look at 4, 1. 
I don't know about you, 4.1. It's got to be one of the hardest verses in all the Bible to obey. You ready? Here it goes. It's, it's competitive. It, the competitor is 5.1. 5.1 is in, insane. 4.1. Here you go. You ready? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Do you understand what it means to walk worthy of the calling that you've been called? Do you understand what that means? That means live in perfect parallel and exactly the way you should in light of all that God has done for you in Christ Jesus and the great calling called us, chose us before the foundation of the world, adopted us, redeemed us, put a spirit. This call is to match it. Let your life match who you are and what you have in Christ. Match that. You know what? That's mind-numbing. Love, love like He loves you. But we just talked about how you can't even know the depths and heights and breadths and widths of the love of God. But he's calling them to walk worthy of that. Then look at 5.1. You'll get another walk. You'll see it in 5.2. But 5.1 it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Oh boy. How many of you are an imitator of God? I don't, I don't, I don't mimic my father very well though. What's my problem? I've forgotten the how and the why. Forgotten the how and the why. Now this is some good news in here. You are going to be blessed, I promise you. You're going to be blessed. Seventh, there's the spirit. He's mentioned all the way through it. The spirit. Holy Spirit's mentioned numerous times. Arguably, it's the most mentioned. He is the most mentioned. The Holy Spirit's the most mentioned in the Ephesians, in Ephesians, than any other book for the amount of space, bar none. Bar none. He, the work of the Holy Spirit's more in this book than any of the other writings of Paul, with the possible exception of one chapter in one book. And what would that be? Anybody know? No, actually not. Actually not. Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8. In this book, it's, he's mentioned over and over and over. Why is that important? Because that's the how. He's the how. He's the how. It's not you. It's him. You say, I'm having a problem with this sin or that sin or this sin or that sin. Your hope is in him. He can work in you. And you're sealed. And you can do it by the grace of God for the glory of God. Yes, right? You got it? So what's the purpose of the book going back? Purpose of the book is this. How the unified body of Christ should live in light of the power and love of God shown towards us. 
shown towards them in Christ Jesus. How the unified body of Christ should live in light of the power and love of God shown toward them in Christ Jesus. Yes, he's calling them to live a certain way, think a certain way, believe a certain way. And then he lays it all out. He gives it, he lays it all out. So I got a challenge for you. You got four months. I want to start trying to memorize the whole book. I want to memorize the book. I think it's a book that we ought to all consider putting on our hearts over and over and over. Okay? So here's your challenge. Let's put this on our hearts. I'm not going to make you commit by raising of hands. But, hey, this might be a book to memorize. Let's memorize a whole book of the Bible. Ephesians would be an excellent one. All right, finally, the structure of the book. Look at it. We're almost done. Structure of the book. First, within within the paragraphs and sentences of the book, just talking about this book of Ephesians, the structure within the paragraphs and within the sentences The structure is extremely complex. Now, I want you to hear me. Listen closely. Don't misquote me. Please hear this. Very important. If you look at the paragraphs and the sentences, it's very complex. Okay? A matter of fact, in verse 3 of chapter 1, look at it. This will give you an example. Chapter 3, or chapter 1, verse 3 All the way down to verse 14. Guess what that is? One sentence. One sentence. Now, I don't know about you, but if I wrote one sentence like that in any of my papers when I was a kid, I would have failed school. It's a pregnant sentence. It's got a lot in it. It's loaded with truth. Okay? And if you look at that sentence, you try to break that sentence down, man, there's some complexity. Did y'all notice that when Mark read read the reading in verse 4, he said, Just as you chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And did you notice that he didn't read in love? Did you notice that? You were like, man, why did you leave that out? Well, he he came to me and said, should I read in love or not? And I said, no, don't read it. Why? Because the thought, I believe the thought ends there. Okay? And that picks up the next section. But still it's one sentence. It runs on. So it's complex. And I'm not going to get buried in these things. I want you to hear me. By the grace of God, I'm not going to get buried down in this complexity. Do you hear me? So I'm not going to make this, I promise, I've heard people have preached this this book, Ephesians. The last I heard, the longest was seven years. Seven years, I remember the pastor telling me. Yeah, well, it's my seventh year and I'm still in Ephesians. What? Seven years. That only compares to the guy, I think it was 39 years, that preached through the book of Job. 39 years in the book of Job? Who in the world wants to come to that? I'm sorry. <laughs> There's good stuff, but you got an idea that what he did was is he launched from verses, didn't he? He wasn't keeping the context and seeing the big picture. He was just buried in there. He was buried in the minutia, and before you knew it, we're talking about every little 
every little comma. Is there a comma before that word or after that word? Right? We're not going there. By the grace of God, I'm going to zip through this book for Pastor Mike Speed. And you're going to hold me to that, right? I want you to come up to me. A couple months, you say, Pastor Mike, you're in three. What are you doing? Go ahead. By the grace of God, I'm going to zip through it. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to give you the big picture. I'm not going to get caught up in the complexity too much. I'm going to try to bring out the main ideas. So, it really is a simple book if you look at the big picture. That's the wild thing. Because guess what? The book breaks down into two parts. Two parts. The first half is, and you can't see that. It's too small, right? The calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. The calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then the second half of the book is the corresponding conduct of those who are called in Christ Jesus. The corresponding conduct, 4 through 6. So the book is really not complex. Calling, conduct. How many of you can get that? Calling, conduct. Right? You got it. You got the basic idea of the book. The calling and the conduct. There's a little introduction on the front, 1 and 2. And a little conclusion at the end, 21 to 24 of chapter 6. But that's about it. That's the simple. And then we can break it down. Hear me? We can break it down another level. We can break it down a level. And it's actually not hard. So don't give up. Don't get afraid. It's very simple. Watch this. The calling of God breaks down into praise to God in verses 3 to 14. It's worship. We'll talk about that next week. Then there's prayer to God in verses 15 to 19, beginning of 19a. Then there's power of God. Power of God. Now that's a big section. It goes from 119 all the way to the end of 313. 313. So that talks about the power of God in that section. Okay? And I'll break that up later. And then it goes back to what? Prayer to God. He does another prayer. In verses, I know, you see 3-1 there. 3-1, 3-14. It's because he starts to pray. Wes, he starts going, Hey, I've got something I want to say to you. Oh, hold on. No, let me tell you one more act of God's power on display. And then he comes back up. Here, let me pray. That's what he does. Do you understand? It's as if he was starting to pray and then he, Nope, nope, nope. i got one more act of God's power that I need to talk to you about. It's seen in the mystery and my ministry to the Gentiles. And then he ends, look, at the end of three, he ends with praise again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he starts with praise, three, one, three to fourteen. And he ends the calling of God with praise. Do you get it? It's not complex, is it? It's actually pretty simple. And then finally you get into the second half of the book, which is the corresponding conduct. And it gets really easy. It's five walks and a stand. Five walks and a stand. What are the five walks? Walk in unity. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Walk in holiness. Chapter 4, 17 to 32. If you look at the first verses in each of those, you'll see walk. You'll see walk. 
It's actually the second verse in, in C, but it's the same concept. Walk in love, 5, 1 to 5. Walk in light, 5, 6 to 14. Walk in wisdom, 5, 15 to 6, 9. That's a big section, isn't it? Just like there was a big section previously, there's a big section here. What does walking wisely look like? And he gives direct applications. And you'll see them. They break down real easy. And then finally, there's this contrast to walk. If you're walking, what are you doing? You're moving. You're taking action. You're doing something, right? But then contrasted with that, he says, stand. Okay, don't walk. Don't run. Don't attack. Just stand. His metaphors are intentional. Because when he gets to dealing with the devil, he doesn't say attack it. He says what? Stand. Stand. That's important. And then you're done. There's prayer and conclusion. Okay? Everybody got it? Are you ready? Do y'all want to study this book? I didn't get enough yeses. I'm sorry. I sound like one of those guys that's begging people to please say amen. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we need this book. We need this book. I think you're going to be encouraged by it. I don't get to counsel and disciple every single one of you on an individual basis. Hear me and I'll close with this. I don't get to sit down with you and talk with you about your lives. I wish I could. I wish I could be at all people's lives all the time and be able to do that. I wish I could. But this, what I'm going to do by going through this and what this passage and what this book talks about would be my counseling manual to every single person in the church. I've been thinking about this for months and months and months. If there was one thing I could counsel every believer to do and understand, it would be no Ephesians. Know it. Really get it. Because this is how you're going to walk by faith in Christ and exalt God who chose you and adopted you into his family. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We pray, Lord, that you will open the eyes of our heart that we may understand the hope of our calling in you and, and, and the power of God that's towards us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you will help us to walk by faith, knowing that Christ is our Savior and our Lord and that the Holy Spirit is working within us to produce good works that you have ordained for us beforehand. We thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. Help us to walk when necessary and the way that you say to walk and to stand against the schemes of the devil as your word says to do. We love you, Father. We need you. We ask that you go with us now. We know your word says that you do. Help us, Lord, to spread the good news of hope in Christ now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.